everybody and welcome to Kane and Rinse Sound of Play 16. With Sound of Play we bring you an eclectic fortnightly compilation mix of some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks that we've enjoyed over the years. Joining me, Leon Cox, in this Sound of Play, it's Darren Gargett. Hello! And Sean O'Brien. Hello, hello! And we've just heard from Sean Lee and his uh, bully, or... Carnis Carnim Edit theme, as the game became known uh, for a while over here in its uh, in its first release on the PlayStation Two. Dog eat dog, um, because there was some controversy around the whole bully name. But I think now, you know, during during development, the game was known as Bully, and uh, and most of the releases since have been Bully or Bully Scholarship Edition. So uh, that's good, and um, that was requested by a listener on the forum. Follow my ruin. He says, uh, it's not often that game music has much influence on what I find fun about a game. This track has a mischievous quality that seems to inspire my inner hedonist. Inner hedonist. Easy. Truanting from Bullworth Academy and sneaking around town in school hours, harassing people with wedgies and itching powder is always a pleasure. And that leads us on rather nicely to uh, remind you listeners that our other podcast our main podcast the one where we talk about actual games instead of just the music we have now uh detailed in all the podcasts all the games we're going to be covering up until the end of the current volume which is volume four this will be the end of our fourth year uh and number 187 uh, and that's going to come out some point in july or uh, late july early august is Bully or Carnis Carnum Edit. It's been um, requested many times by many people over the years. The reason that we hadn't done it before is because actually a couple of other podcasts had done kind of similar things with it, but a long time has passed since those happened now. So I think it's uh, it's high time we did we did ours. So Sean, you're an American man. We've yes. discussed this before, right? <laughs> Uh, so, Bully, um, d- obviously it was made in Vancouver but, mm. um, b- by Rockstar there, but uh, but it's set in, in an American school. Did it ring true for you? I never played it. No, nope. uh-huh. never played it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the one oh, Rockstar yeah. game I haven't played. See, that was my uh, that was my thing where I have assumed that everyone on Kane and Rince has played everything <laughs> ever. But no, actually, and I, and I know that isn't the case with you because you're an American man. You've hardly played any uh, computer games as such as, you know, from, from, from way back when. It was all Nintendo, as we'll see later on. Because right. you, yeah. you've brought the, the, the NES version of a track that we all know over here from the Commodore 64 version. Right, yep. Uh, but more on that later. Uh, but um, thinking of bully reminds me of toilet humour and, and one of my pleasures in life. I, I'm a big fan of um, dialects and etymology and colloquialisms and all that sort of thing. And one of the things I like about having um, American person friends is that we can talk about uh, our different uh, our different languages and the, the, the way mm. we refer to things. Have you and I had the conversation about bog roll yet? <laughs> uh, on Twitter, yeah. Yeah. Not, too long ago. <laughs> yeah. Not so much a conversation, but I was just... Yeah. The hell is a bog roll? <laughs> yeah, yeah, bog roll. So, um, yeah, it, it, it suddenly struck me that it's just this thing we say. I don't, I don't know if it's said all around England, because um, as as you know, as we were actually discussing before we started recording, um, there are a huge wide variety of accents and dialects and and local colloquialisms just in in the UK. I mean, if you go from the west of Ireland to the north of Scotland all the way down to the southeast. You know, we could almost be speaking a different language, and in some cases, uh, in Wales and bits of Cornwall, uh, they actually are. But um, bog roll, uh, yeah, bog roll uh, for American listeners is what some of us, um, more working class people, call uh, toilet tissue. Uh, bog, as in a toilet, and mm-hmm. roll, as in a roll of paper. 
Do you say bog roll, Darren? No, yeah. Like, I, you mentioned it to Sean there, and I, I, it was like, oh, yeah, other people don't call it bog roll. Yeah, just, you know, <laughs> chuck, chuck us a bog roll. I've run out. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Exactly. When you were working in, in a store, would you say, oh, I'm stacking the bog rolls? Well, you have to be very careful because people would take offence to, um, you know, uh, slang, I guess. Like, you have to go, it's down the paperware aisle. And you're like, oh, God. <laughs> but, like, you, you would say it accidentally. Like, yeah, it's just down the bog roll aisle. And then the customers look at you and think, what? Why are you saying that? And then you realise that, you know, not everyone is, uh, is common like me. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and speaking of um, toilet humour and colloquialisms, your, your first selection, Darren, is from a rare game. Well, it's not, but it is, but it's not, but it is, but it's not. So a lot of these, a lot of these gags, um, you know, like, like uh, Logo, the, um, Logo, the toilet in Banjo-Kazooie. We, we talked about this when we did our Banjo-Kazooie podcast. And, uh, and Ryan Heyman was, you know, uh, our American man on that, on that show. And, uh, yeah, we were talking about some of the British humour and how well it came across. But, uh, but anyway, what, what's this you've brought for us? And uh, please expand on, on what it is and why. Well, yeah. So, you know, um, this has been quite the revolution on the uh, on the Kickstarter lately on the Internet. And, you know, and just everyone seems to be clamoring for a bit of a 3D platformer game. You've got there have been a few games before this that uh, are still in development, like a hat in time. And uh, there's been a few games like Colours, uh, a Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy City or something. I don't know. There was a game called Colours and it was a 3D platformer. You know, it wasn't wasn't great but um anyway this is ukulele by platonic games which is um pretty much if you take the barn from rare which was uh, developing banjo kazooie games and just moved it about 50 miles to the right you'd uh yeah you'd you'd have platonic games and they're they're currently developing a game called ukulele which i'm very much excited for for obvious mm-hmm. reasons i.e it's basically just banjo kazooie free but with a different character well, a different set of characters. One's called Yuka and one's called Lady. But I'm also equally reserved, you know, and a bit a bit cautious about how much they're leaning into its banjo ness. Like, obviously, you want to make that kind of game, but how much do you want to make that kind of game, and will it end up crippling, you know, uh, the overall design of the game? I don't know. It's uh, it's yeah, like I say, I'm equally as excited about it as I am, you know, cautious about. Yeah, there. very wise, I think, because mm. it's, you know, if you just decide that it's going to be the best thing ever, it's going to be the rebirth mm-hmm. of, you know, this sort of game, colourful, 3D, cutesy, funny things. It's going to be the spiritual successor to Banjo-Kazooie. I mean, we went we went back to that game for the podcast in uh, issue 137, Seek It Out, and I think we were all pretty, uh, pretty pleased by how it stands up. You can still get it on Xbox uh, 360, Xbox Live Arcade, but... You know, making it again from scratch with no, mm. without the nostalgia, without, you know, all this sort of thing. So, yeah, obviously really optimistic, but also I think that note of caution with all these projects is, is wise just for one's own sanity. Yeah, so you, you've got Ukulele, which is past the Kickstarter goal, you know, tenfold almost. So, and they're, they're aiming for the two million mark, um, you know, to, to get the to get the free DLC for the backers and stuff like that, you know, free being that you, you backed it, you know, full disclosure, <laughs> I did back it myself and, you know, I, I, I resisted the N64 box for 300 quid, but I did, put, I did put a fair <laughs> oh, bit of money. Wow. I did put a fair bit of money into it. And not that much. I did, I resisted that just I was like, do I do that? Do I not do that? But uh, on the Kickstarter page, they have linked um, two tracks, one by David Wise, which we're not going to listen to, which is still really good, and one by Grant Kirkhope, <laughs> which is the one that sounds so much like Banjo-Kazooie, you'd think that <laughs> at one point he was making Banjo 3E music and just sort of gone, hold on, I've got a file from back in the day. Maybe I can mm. you know, use this. Oh, that's pure speculation, but it, it's so <laughs> much a Banjo-Kazooie track that you'd think that he'd have found it in his recycling bin and just gone, yeah, let's use this. <laughs> 
Um, it starts off kind of like Bubble Gloop Swamp, and it kind of goes, you know, with its dark, deep bass, like, boom. And then it kind of evolves into pretty much like Clanker's Cavern and Mumbo's Mountain. It goes for all the themes of Banjo Kazooie, but with its own, again, with its own kind of unique twist. And the, you know, listening to this track got me equally excited as you know, cautious and trepidatious about it. Like, man, he's really leaning into the banjo ness of this. And you know, in my brain's like, well, is that going to harm the overall game's <laughs> development or not? Like, so yeah, have a listen. And then, you know, if you're, if you're going to come back and tell me that it's not a, a banjo-esque tune, I'll be very surprised.
Excellent. They had to get Grant Kirkhope mm. and David Wise in. And also Steve Burke, which uh, a lot of people don't really know, and it's not really mm. talked about, but Steve Burke, you know, the guy who praised the cameo show that we did recently, <laughs> um, he's also yes. doing tu- uh, tunes for ukulele as well. Wow. So they are, they are getting the rare guys back together, kind of like, you know, getting the band back together, styly. Um, so, Fantastic. Mm, um, yes. Yeah. Some point later this year, then? Um, mm, I don't know. No, October 2016 seems to be the date. They, you know, they Some want point they later wanna, next year. Yeah, then. they want to yes. get this done right. Um, we will Good. get a toy box or a toy box toy box plus edition, which is basically like an alpha, I guess, that you get to run around and do things with. Um, yeah, and it looks beautiful. It looks like one of those games, but in uh, you know with modern uh, you know graphics and assets and all that. So yeah, color me interested big time. From the uh, the very silly to the, well, the still very silly. <laughs> Sean, what's this? Uh, all right, so my first track is uh, Stray Sheep by Shoji Meguru from the game Catherine, uh, which came out a few years ago, which, um, in my opinion, was one of the most uh, criminally ignored games of the PS3, PS3 360 era. For those who might not know, Catherine's a... it's a, I guess it's mostly a puzzle game, but it kind of has slight dating sim elements in there <laughs> and uh yeah all in a twisted yeah, kind of way in a very twisted kind of way and all kind of um this kind of like hitchcocky and suspense horror story about a guy who uh is in a way forced to cheat on his uh, fiance and uh all the weird twists and things that happen after that but um the soundtrack is as i said by Sergi Meguru who worked on the persona series and actually this whole team was uh, the Persona team who made uh, Catherine. They kind of made it at the same time as they made Persona 4. And uh, the games couldn't be more different, um, but you can tell that there's the same kind of uh, uh, com- composition to uh, this track specifically. But the, the half of the soundtrack is tracks like this, which is more of an ambient kind of piano with like a light drum track over it. But the other half of the soundtrack is very orchestral um very daunting kind of horror music and uh yeah it's just a it's a i think it's a fascinating game i know there are a lot of people out there who really can't stand catherine mostly because of the uh puzzle gameplay which is weird block puzzle uh it's yeah it's an action puzzler it, it was the pro i mean i i played to, to the halfway point in this game and even on uh easy difficulty because i mm. rented it um probably m- many people will have it in their in their collection now if they remembered to um PS Plus it, you know, that go through the routine of, uh, well, we yeah. had it over here anyway at some point. But yes, I, I got bogged down by the by the frustration mm-hmm. and difficulty yeah. of the puzzles about halfway through. Even though I, I, you know, I did find the game interesting, I ultimately couldn't uh, face an, another half a game of increasingly yeah. uh, testy puzzles, which which I did think was a shame. But what I did do was I went on and basically watched the rest of the actual, yeah, you know, all the uh, the cutscenes yeah. and everything on on YouTube. And that's not a good uh, not a good um, endorsement for a game. Um, that I would, yeah, it was, it was a game that I actually preferred watching Mm -hmm. to playing. And, you know, I do like action puzzlers, but I don't think it was a particularly well refined one. I think it was a bit, it was, it was overly, uh, overly difficult. Um, but there are some moments that really stick Mm -hmm. in my mind. Um, like the, the fear of pregnancy (laughs) level, which is, uh, which is really disturbing. Terrifying. The, the butt baby face, I think is (laughs) what the thing is. Yeah. 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 Yeah, It's a really weird and twisted game and it's, it's definitely going to be, uh, as you guys would say, a marmite, I think, 
Is that the right use of that oh, word? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. After a few righteous. years, yeah. picking up on your guys' uh, dialect. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think th- this is uh, my favorite track. It's probably, if anyone who's played Catherine um, might not remember this song uh, as much as some of the other tracks in it, but this this song does happen to come up quite a lot in the game because it takes place in the in the bar, uh, which is basically where half of the game takes place, um, and it's called uh, Stray Sheep by Shoji Meguru. sheep do you have so you don't if you never had marmite no sure. i don't i have no idea what it is <laughs> okay so it's um it's yeast extract okay mm. so so brown stuff brown uh. tangy stuff um it, i think it originally uh, you know people started seeing it as a as a byproduct of making bread mm. so i mean it, it definitely exists over there because yeah. you have wheat yeah. and you have bread right <laughs> Uh, it's probably like full of sugar or something, <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, lard, uh, just animal dripping with beef, animal fat. Um, now, actually, I'll say that this is really unfair. I'm just going into lazy things. I remember watching uh, Sesame Street mm. as a kid, loved, loved Sesame Street, obviously it's set in New York. And they used to, you know, they used to order sandwiches in that show sometimes. And they would talk about all these different breads you could have. It was like on, you mm. know, on... On uh, on rye or on pumpernickel mm-hmm. or you know mm-hmm. so actually I think in some ways the whole artisan bread thing you may have, in New York at least yeah. you may have been ahead of us <laughs> with that maybe <laughs> but uh, Marmite yeah it's an interesting one we um, few, some years ago now uh, we had a, a Japanese guy come over to stay who was uh, sort of um, brother-in-law mm-hmm. of a friend and. Uh, obviously, we, we'd been over to Japan prior to this, and he'd he, he'd given us a few things to try, um, uh, you know, like strong wasabi and all this stuff. Um, obviously, over here, you, you know, we eat wasabi peas now, like they're going out <laughs> of fashion and whatever. But um, 
but we we had him try marmite and he thought you know even though you know they have these these, these very strong things in japan he thought marmite was just the most outrageous thing <laughs> that you could ever put in your mouth not in a good way um so yeah it'd be interesting how it go, uh, goes down but um yeah, we should send you like a. I, I know it, it all kind of ends up in the whole giant bomb type territory, but it'd be interesting mm. <laughs> interesting to send you a yeah. care package of um, of British yeah. snacks and sausage see how you get on with them. Yeah, well, we we were talking about right. sausage rolls yep. the other day, and I, I'm I'm trying to get you into trouble when you come over here by saying the wrong thing in the wrong place. But yeah, um, but as I say, the key thing with the sausage roll, I can completely under. It seems really weird that you don't have them over there. Sure, we have something like it. It's just because. When you say it's just sausage in a bread, like a, a or sausage meat, yeah, it can, it, generally it's sausage meat in in pastry mm. rather than a sausage, but it can be a sausage. Okay. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's it's yeah, meat and pastry, right? right? Yeah, I we mean, have to have something why, like that, but it, it, maybe yeah, we just don't sure. call it sausage roll. Sausage call it roll. something stupid like yeah. pigs in a blanket. That's probably the closest thing. Oh, we do oh, have okay, pigs in blankets well, yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Back, back to video game music <laughs> for fear of becoming one of those shows. Uh, right. Yeah. I uh, have been, uh, I've just started actually at the time of recording playing the last Silent Hill game we'll be doing in our, in our long uh, series of Silent Hill podcasts that we've been doing for the last uh, seven, eight months now, uh, Downpour. And I noticed when I was uh, looking at the credits that the audio director, not the composer, mind, who is somebody else, the audio director is one Nathan McCree, a name I hadn't heard for quite a while. Um, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't, he didn't die or anything. He was still, he was still doing stuff. But I still very much associate uh, this this uh, English gentleman with the opening main theme to the very first Tomb Raider from 1996, uh, which I first played on the Saturn because that's what it launched on. Um, then at some point got the PlayStation version. Listening to it now, it, it has aged a little bit, I think, in that it is you know very obviously done with synthesizers rather than um, a real harp, real choirs and all that. But for all that, I still think this is... a incredibly atmospheric and um, bewitching piece of music that really summed up the atmosphere of the first Tomb Raider. And I think some of that's been lost in each and every single Tomb Raider since. Even though, you know, yes, she had she had the famous auto-aiming twin pistols in that first game, and she yes, she did, you know, massacre endangered species like they were going out of fashion. No, they were going out of fashion. They're going out of existence. Um, that first Tomb Raider really had... Um, yeah, an, a, a, an atmosphere of wonder and exploration uh, and isolation, almost that sort of me- the thing people talk about with uh, Super Metroid and, and um, Metroid Prime. Um, and I never, I never loved another Tomb Raider like I loved the first one, even though I think playing it now would prove a challenge. Um, and I think a lot of that, the atmosphere from from the off, from first booting up, was uh, was absolutely sewn up by uh, this piece of music.
So we haven't yet covered uh, the original Tomb Raider. Um, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a rabbit hole to go down because if we did the first one, would we then want to do two, three, four Revelations, whatever that other one was called, Angel oh, of Darkness Angel yeah, on the PS2, um, and oh. then then you've got the the, the first lot of um, Crystal Dynamics games, the you know the uh, anniversary and Legend and all that. So it would be a huge undertaking of some some long and difficult games, I think, um, in some cases to cover. So the only one we've done. Uh, is uh, Tomb Raider the 2013 sort of uh, reboot, and that was back in issue 90. So you can seek that out. I think we talk a little bit about other Tomb Raiders in there, um, but someday we may, if if we do another Tomb Raider, I would say probably the next one we'll do is the original, and then see what happens after that. Now, it's time for a request uh, from the forum from Acamius or Acamius. Apologies. A new poster, which is always nice. Please do come over to the forum, canorince.com slash forum. Find the Sound of Play folder in particular, and remember to um, request uh, interesting pieces of music or pieces of music that you love for us to share on this here podcast. Uh, now, uh, this is a piece I'm not familiar with, but I've listened to it uh, prior to recording, and uh, I like it. I like it. Uh, Kamiya says, while it's not a game I've played to any extent, I have listened to the OST for Risk of Rain dozens of times, and I really dig it. Wonderfully atmospheric music that's at times relaxing, sometimes unsettling, and at other times bombastic, with an excellent use of themes that lets tracks feel cohesive without becoming repetitive. While I'd be thrilled hearing any of the OST on Sound of Play, my submission is Monsoon. Great driving beat, atmospheric as all get out with a great guitar hook to just unsettle an otherwise mesmeric track.
And uh, that is, you can tell it's it's uh, an independently developed game because the developer is called Hopu Games and the, <laughs> the distributor publisher is called Chucklefish Limited. Um, and I must admit, yes, I am unfamiliar uh, with this game that has so far come out for uh, Windows, Linux, OS X, so PC and Mac, basically, uh, in normal speak. But I believe some point this year... Uh, it's coming to PlayStation Vita. It's a good, it's a good game. Ah, okay, you're familiar with it, Darren. Yeah, I haven't played too much of it. It was kind of in the midst of my Isaac addiction. I'm going to call it an addiction. Um, so, and I didn't want to play too many roguelikes in, you know, in yeah, one. Yeah, can hurt your brain you know, a bit, can't it? Yeah, because you you get used to one style of roguelike, and you know, playing Spelunky and Isaac at the same time, they kind of cross, but even though they're completely different, they have familiarities. Whereas Risk of Rain is completely its own thing, and um, yeah, I was completely bedazzled by how different it is but similar at the same time it's, the, the, the genre is you know it just totally fries my brain how similar they are but not at the same time so yeah and risk of rain completely has its own vibe and the gameplay style that I, I think get hooked onto but i can definitely see why you would it's the sort of thing that might even come out on playstation plus when it first appears that would be nice mm. fingers crossed right something very different though from uh, from you, Mr. Gargett. Oh, yeah. I was reminiscing, actually, earlier on today. Um, I was going to use a track from... Because uh, I, I, not long... I say not long. A month ago, I came back from Japan. And my whole perspective on Japanese stuff and life and everything about it is just completely... Like, it's like, like I've leveled up in the real life. I'm like, okay, like, I've played Nintendo games all the way since, you know, since <laughs> mm. the early days. And I've played, you know, Japanese games, not even knowing they were Japanese games. For example, Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Which is kind of only half Japanese. If we, yeah. Because it was sort of developed in America. But yeah, it's the sequel to a Japanese game, if nothing else. Mm, but uh, listening to the way the Tokyo lifestyle is, is like, like, I understand now why everything in Mario and Sonic and stuff, they have little jingles and little nods and like little, <laughs> just little things that happen around certain events. Like, so the Tokyo subway has like Tweety Birds to let the blind people know what station they're in. And mm. there's like, and they have their own little jingles and bits and noises and weird mascots and stuff like that. And it all kind of, I don't know, I kind of walked away from Tokyo thinking, okay, I, I kind of get it now. And I, you know, I, I really loved it. So I was thinking about old games that, you know, from Japanese companies and uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 was, was sitting on my Epic shelf. And I was like, you know what? I used to, I, I love Sonic the Hedgehog 2 and I love the music. And listening to, for, for many years, I hadn't had a Mega Drive. Um, my mum was a single parent, three kids. And, you know, so consoles that were out at the time, I must have been nine. Um, it just wasn't, it wasn't there for me. Um, the only way I could listen or to feel or play or touch Sonic 2 was via a VHS tape from Mean Machine Sega. And it was, um, it's really sad. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, it started off with a guy wanting something like a razor cut or a cyber razor cut. Cyber razor cut. Yes. Yeah. And it was all really weird and it kind of scared me. And it, and I (laughs) I fast forwarded through the games that scared me like aliens, aliens three or alien three, um, Batman, you know, cause I was nine years old. Like those kind of games kind of terrified me a little bit. Oh, this is getting cuter. (laughs) <laughs> I kind of rewinded back to the Sonic bit and what I would do in place of me not having a Mega Drive is I would get the TV remote control and ha- have it sideways like a Wii remote and pretend to play it and I'd hand my brother oh the, my the god VH- I'm melting <laughs> here <laughs> I hand my bro- I'd try and persuade one of my brothers to join in and they're like you're an idiot but yeah I was I was just, I had the little remote control pressing the buttons and just like you know pretending I was playing Sonic the Hedgehog and I knew this video inside out for the Sonic parts that the Emerald Hill theme tune was just just burned into my brain 
and uh, listening it, listening to it back, I kind of need the Sega intro mm. and the, the menu music and all the bits that come just before Emerald Hill Zone to make it a complete package. So what I've done here, I've kind of put the two things together. So it goes, you know, the Sega and then the little jingles from <laughs> Sonic and Tails popping through the logo and then it loading into Emerald Hill Zone. And yeah, it just reminds me of the day that my next door neighbor finally, again, not me, but mm. my next door neighbor got a Mega Drive from Asia, which had a red banner on the front, which always surprised me when I was a kid. Yeah. It's like, can we play Power Games? And they're like, yeah, just yeah, I've got, I've got Sonic 2. And I was like, oh my God, this is this is it. And <laughs> I just remember my whole world just changing. Um, and yeah, I, I love I love Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Like I say, it's on my Epic shelf and I I will still play it, you know, in various forms. I've played it on Xbox Live Arcade and on PC and, you know. It's um, come out on well, virtually everything. Mm. Virtually every, every recognized machine since then, yeah. And the whole of the soundtrack, apart from maybe the Water Zone and Hilltop Zone, I I love. Um, I think it's called. Well, I think it's called Aquatic Zone. Uh, you know, originally. Um, so yeah, but I do enjoy the whole soundtrack. Like Chemical Plant Zone is just it's, it's a brilliant track, and uh, you know, Metropolis Zone and the even the um the kind of oil oily zone. I can't remember the name. Of it oil Ocean. That's it. Like all those tunes really are fantastic, but because Emerald Hill Zone's first, that's the one you hear the most because yeah. you've only got ten minutes to play Sonic Two before dinner, so you play Emerald Hill Zone. So <laughs> well, therefore, that throws you out. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's it. Um, so yeah, Emerald Hill Zone. I, I really, really enjoy it, and it's it kind it's kind of weird how listening to it today reminded me of this weird kind of relationship I have with Sonic Two in the fact that I didn't really play it a lot until I finally got it many years after the fact. Yeah, so I I played Sonic 2, but I wasn't playing Sonic 2. story and uh, yeah it brings back a lot of memories for, for me as well as um, Masato Nakamura who's probably best known for both the, the first two Sonic um, games his, his soundtrack work um, to the point that uh, apparently he was he was a crafty devil he um, he made it so that uh, he rather than the usual way you know we've, we've talked on on the Kane and Rince podcast about the sort of uh, the obscurity of many of the really incredibly talented people who worked for 
companies like Sega back then that they they didn't get many credits and they were you know it was kind of almost you know they were like very much under contract and kept under lock and key and 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 you know they weren't front and center but in in the case of Nakamura-san, he he actually uh, charged um, you know large licensing fees for for the uses of his his music in in these games, and um, that's the point why a lot of these themes have never been reheard and reused because they because it costs money to to reuse them to the point that um, apparently uh, Sonic Spinball, which was again developed outside of Japan and America, um, you know the early height of Sonic's first rush of fame, um, there it was originally. Um, put together with the Sonic the Hedgehog theme, but they actually um, replaced it after the game had uh, gone into its uh, gold state because um, because of those those fees that would have incurred. So that's why Sonic uh, Spinball ended up with a different track. But um, yes, mm. amazing music. I mean, the, obviously the, the whole history of the Sonic music thing is a very storied one from, uh, from Sonic 3 and Knuckles. We have the whole mm. uh, mysterious Michael Jackson involvement, which is right. fairly well exposed now as definitely having happened but ultimately being covered up um there's a lot of tunes in in sonic 3 and knuckles which are quite blatantly jackson um you know mm. compositions um but that's yeah that's something i think we've talked about elsewhere and, and i'm sure will come up again but uh another good reason for featuring sonic 2 in this podcast is because it's recently been announced that the next wave of uh M2, the 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 uh, emulation team uh, or development team who are doing the 3DS uh, 3D Classic series for 3DS. Um, they've done, they've already done a couple of Mega Drive games, uh, Shinobi 3 and Sonic, um, and they've done plenty of the old AM2 coin ops. Thunderblade just came out, um, and obviously you've got Afterburner and Outrun and so on. But Sonic 2 is coming to that series later on this year, along with Streets of Rage 2. So um, uh, and their emulation is absolutely. Um, peerless mm. and and huge attention to detail and whatever. So, look out for that. I will. Now back to Sean and his uh, his almost cliched childhood NES days as <laughs> as, as an American boy. <laughs> yeah. See, I was I was worried about this because I I don't know how popular Skater Die is. It's well known because um, every time I is it because every time I mention it like on Twitter or something. Uh, maybe it's just the way I mentioned it. Well known to old people. <laughs> no one... Let's put it, put it that way. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> you, you you say, and then I'll, I'll tell you what I know about Skate Day after. Okay. After. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, the track I picked is the uh, main theme. I guess uh, I, I would assume it's called Skater Die. I don't know because you know there's no official soundtracks from back in those days. But this is uh, the main theme from Skater Die by uh, Rob Hubbard, who I got to make sure not to say Ron Hubbard, because that's a totally Very different, different person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, from what I understand, Rob Hubbard uh, did a lot of stuff back in Absolutely. the old days. Um, yes. uh, he uh, was the first person, according to Wikipedia, the first person devoted to sound and music at EA. So they brought him over, and he did, before this, he did a whole bunch of games, but uh, since joining EA, he did uh, Skater Die. Skater Die 2, Search for Double Trouble, uh, Jordan vs. Bird, which is one of my favorite games back in the day when I used to like sports, um, yeah. Ski or Die, Madden, Madden yeah. Road Rash, PGA Road Tour. Rash 2, Desert Strike, PGA Tour, Hockey, NHL 95. Yeah, so he's, and I think NHL 95, according to Wikipedia again, is the last game he worked on. Mm. Uh, so that was back in 94, but yeah, very storied history with this guy. Um, but the track, uh, there's not really much to the track. It's just like a kind of just kind of repeats itself over and over again. But it's very uh, it's very fun, very happy, and very um. It kind of sounds like a 
guitar solo just repeating over and over again, just really high up guitar solo. And that's maybe why it sticks in my mind. And it always comes back up in my head. And, and more so actually from Skater Die 2, because in Skater Die 2, uh, they had the same song on the main theme, but they had like, this is back when they were starting to put like vocals in to games, yeah, okay, I guess. Yeah. And so it was like this guy just going, skate, or, yeah. or <laughs> yep, die, yep, yep, yep. die, 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 die. <laughs> <laughs> and that just always gets in my head for some reason. I don't know why. But um, yeah, just uh, fond memories of the game too. But I, I haven't played it in like 20 years. So I don't know. If it, I, I kind of think it's not going to hold up today. Because I remember it being, I still remember it being kind of frustrating back then. But uh, yeah, it's just a fun skateboarding game. Yeah, as you said, uh, I, I was I used to skate when I was younger too, so <laughs> it might be a very American thing to. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's a very international podcast today. Yeah. But yeah, so this is a quick little track from Skater Die by Rob Hubbard. actually got a brand new skate park in Brighton here, where I live in, in, mm. in the south of England and it's incredibly popular um, mm. and you get mm. you get people of all ages down there it's really nice good good atmosphere good vibe I really like this I, like, I could never like, skate at all but I like the sound <laughs> of the trucks on the concrete and all that sort of thing mm. it's, uh, it's cool um, so yes Rob Hubbard we talked about on the podcast before absolute legend of uh, the British computer game scene but actually all his work came in the space of sort of two to three years between 1985 and 1987 88 when he went over yeah. to EA and actually 
compared to the sort of astonishing things he was doing on the Commodore 64 uh, SID chip, um, mm-hmm. a lot of us over here were quite disappointed with the stuff that he started doing on the on the Mega Drive. Um, we weren't. I, I don't remember really. And we knew that he did the Skate or Die, the original for the Commodore 64, which was, uh, a, you know, tremendous um, audio. Again, we had, you know, we had the speech, the uh, synth- synthesized speech and, and all that. Mm. Um, and, sk- I mean, Skate or Die, I, I never played it much, maybe around my friend Simon, who we, who we had on here before, who actually picked a couple mm. of Rob Hubbard tracks. But, of course, it was kind of a rip out of the, the piece of speech from the Atari, the earlier Atari coin-up 720 Degrees, where if you mm. wasted, if you took too long, the game would say, skate or die, and then uh, chase you with a, weirdly with a swarm of hornets or something. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that that's kind of my memory of skate or die. And I only recently became... Um, slightly more aware of the fact that it it was also an uh, you know an American very American style yeah. console game released by Konami outside of of right. here where, yep. um, you know but yes it's it's you know it's a it's a thirty year old electronic arts game pretty much um, showing and yeah near enough not quite but getting there now my track slightly less ancient but uh, still pretty veteran vintage um, I could have picked any number of tracks from uh, what I think is an amazing. Uh, OST for Castlevania Symphony of the Night, a game we covered in uh, issue 84 of the Kane and Rince podcast. Um, we pretty much, uh, the, the entire assembled panel were still pretty much in love with that game. Um, feel it's it's barely aged a day. You can still get it. Uh, at the time it was released on, on PlayStation and then a, a slightly dodgy Saturn conversion, but um, you can play it on PSP 360 and uh, and PSN machines, Vita and PS3. This piece is is called Tower of Mist, but it, it was it was tricky. The only track I didn't want to pick was this, this was the era that where Konami were obsessed with having um, Hollywood movie style power ballads at the end of every game <laughs> that f- didn't fit remotely with with the with with the uh, the atmosphere and the theme and the rest of the game. Um, yeah, I mean, class, Castlevania music always comes into my mind when when I think about picking tracks for sound of play. But the reason I wanted to uh, add this uh, in in this particular one is uh, it's another sort of Kickstarter celebration because uh, Igarashi um, has uh, you know he put his uh, his project out there, Bloodstained um, Ritual of the Night, an obvious successor uh, with two D. Uh, 2D looking art and gameplay in a, in a modern Castlevania way. Put it to uh, crowdfunding and it absolutely smashed its target in in minutes, in days, uh, raising. I think they they wanted half a million dollars and and it was on over one and a half million um, in in short order, which is fantastic news for those of us who are disappointed by the way Castlevania has been treated by Konami recently, mm-hmm. and because of the whole Konami. You know the whole Konami situation because it looks like they are basically pulling out of um, the sort of you know the big budget console game market. And, space, yeah. yeah, and moving on to mobile, which you know the world changes, um, yep. things move on. Um, the you know the creative forces behind all those classic Konami games still exist. Some you know many of them are still making games, but it is I do find this one a little bit sad because so many of my favourite games going all the way back to Scramble and Super Cobra in the early eighties at the arcades, you know, through Gradius and uh, Metal Gear oh, and everything yeah, else, man. you know, Konami were just, and yeah, again, talking about Americans and their NES, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Konami were the 
producer yep. after Nintendo of NES carts, weren't they? I mean, they just they made the most. In fact, famously on on NES and Super Nintendo, Konami actually started inventing different brand names for their for their wares because you were only allowed to release a certain number right. of games <laughs> yeah. on a Nintendo system per year. So games like Cybernator, or which was the westernized version of Assault Suits Vulcan, um, and other things, ended up coming out under these weird. Uh, names like LJN and and mm-hmm. um, Palcom and all these other uh, sort of basically made up subsidiary companies to get around Nintendo's rule of not letting people um, <laughs> you know overproduce games. Yeah, so love Konami um, and uh, yeah, this uh, this woman as well, just uh, Michiru Yamani, excuse me, um, just a prodigiously talented um, composer. Um, Disappointingly, uh, I don't think she's uh, done much in recent years that's new. Um, most of her credits in recent times uh, seem to be um, for re-releases of, of classic tracks and stuff. But she did do, she contributed to Skullgirls and Mushihime Summer Bug Panic. Uh, and I think her last Castlevania was uh, Order of Ecclesia, which uh, is well, I guess you could say it's the last Castlevania, not including the, the Lords of Shadow games. But anyway, this is one of many magnificent gothic classical pieces from Symphony of the Night. Thank you. 
we've had a lot of great feedback for, for Sound of Play and thanks to everyone who has taken the time to do that. But do remember, um, iTunes reviews and subscriptions and ratings really help us out. So if you are enjoying Sound of Play, um, you know, it's obviously Kane Rinse has been around for years and has gained a fair bit of traction. But um, Sound of Play, we're still just finding our feet, really. So do remember to um, check into iTunes and give us a review and a rating. It's very much appreciated. Uh, but before we go, we're going to leave you um, with uh, our final listener request of this sound of play from uh, Daniel Gomez uh, Tadinho, out there, down there in Brazil. Um, and he pointed out that we haven't yet featured any persona music, um, which is which is odd. Um, I'm, I suspect when we next have Josh on, he'll probably uh, he might even go some way further to rectifying this. Um, it's also uh, possibly. Although I can't be sure, um, is the second appearance in this particular sound of play for Shoji Meguro, um, just by pure coincidence. But also the, the, um, the composers are credited for this, uh, track that we're going to have, Specialist, uh, from the Reincarnation album. Uh, also Atsushi Kitajo. Again, please forgive my probably shonky pronunciation. Um, but again, it's one of those where I don't know if it's a, if it's a track by track collaboration or different tracks by different people. But either way, it's so different. It's it's uh, it's a, it's a very different thing. Obviously, it comes from the Atlas stable. But yes, uh, Tadinho says in Persona Four, the song specialist plays during the school sections of the game. And if you know anything about Persona Four, you know that you spend a whole lot of time listening to this song <laughs> mm-hmm. to the point of it getting stuck in your head for days. That can be said about a bunch of other tracks in the game. What separates this track from the others for me, it's the reincarnation album version of it, which manages to take an already catchy song and give a whole new life and energy. It just makes you want to dance. Very nice. Thank you uh, for all your requests as ever. And as you have heard, it's not just about what us Cana Rince folk and our guests like. So please do continue to venture over to the forum at canarince.com where you can request your favourites and other interesting tracks uh, or esoteric picks from the world of video games. As I've said before, uh, pretty much anything goes that's video game related, although... Uh, we we don't dig the whole license track thing. Don't just pick something from a, a radio, you know, David Bowie track from GTA or whatever, or you know, anything like that. It's not going to work, um, and we might get into trouble. I don't know. Anyway, uh, we'll continue to include a selection of your requests uh, in each and every sound of play. Uh, now, so before we leave, leave you with a specialist from Persona Four, it just remains for me, Leon, to thank Darren, thank you, and Sean. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> See, they weren't ready for this. No, nope. it's, it's, that's alien, man. You're welcome. I, I was trying to be. I was trying to be polite, but uh, cause no. I, no, don't do it. Just tell us to go away. Okay. Yeah. Like Charlie Brooker would. Darren and Sean were on this podcast, but mostly it was about me, me, me. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yes, we'll see you on Sound of Play 17. (laughs) 